Welcome to Quarterly Roundtable from KBNP Financial Partners. This podcast covers the fourth quarter of 2022. Here are Scott Krisner, Andy Barlow, and Eric Powell. Hi, this is Scott Krisner. Welcome to the quarterly roundtable for the uh, fourth quarter of 2022. I'm joined in studio today by my partners, Andy Barlow and Eric Powell. I guess to, to start things off, when we look at uh, where where we wound up the third quarter and again moving into the fourth, inflation seemed to have peaked. And we, we had long been saying that while inflation would be sticky and be with us, we anticipated that the rate of increase would be slowing. And it, knock on wood, but uh, I know we were, what, nine, nine and a half mid-year. It was down to 8.2 in September. And the uh, fourth quarter figures came in. We're looking at an increase of 6.5. So again, um, we are experiencing some disinflation, which is we are trending lower. The rate of increase is slowing, but overall it is still increasing. Scott, thanks for that uh, quick update there on inflation. So uh, this is Andy and just wanted to further add some clarification on the term disinflation. Uh, This is simply a decrease in the rate of inflation. So although the price of goods and services are increasing, it is increasing at a slower pace. So a lot of the conversation we've been hearing is more so around the price of goods increasing. Um, what we're tending to see at this point in time is is the the price of services increasing. So, um, you know that's that's something we're keeping our eyes on here as we look forward. But by all means, it, it really does seem as though the inflationary pressures will continue in the services side. So, I think we should all be prepared for some some higher costs associated with services um, that we encounter on a daily basis here. Thanks, Scott and Andy. This is Eric, by the way. I just wanted to step in real quick and just discuss ways in which the Fed is uh, fighting against inflation. Uh, so as of right now and you know what we've seen towards the end of uh, 2022 and what we expect um, for at least the beginning of 2023, the Fed will continue to increase rates. And um, you know this can be particularly concerning for those that are uh, currently invested in technology and communication companies, uh, as well as for consumer discretionary spending. Yeah, and and what we have what we have been seeing is uh, not only is wage growth cooled cooled in the fourth quarter, so uh, that was the lowest reading, if I'm not mistaken, for the year. Uh, wages grew by the least uh, in December, November and December, for the entire year. Um, but we're seeing average savings balances fall. Uh, there were peaks in 20 and 21 when, to help us through the pandemic, the uh, government was uh, infusing money into the system. Seems that uh, the average individual is now not only going through those savings, but they're also uh, now taking on some credit card balances. I know the average consumer's credit card balance has risen dramatically. Um, and it kind of ties in with, you know, Fed's fight against inflation being f- bad for consumer discretionary spending. Because, again, the discretionary spending is for the extra things, not the necessities. And as you uh, experience inflation, 
you know, I've heard some reports of eggs costing what seven to nine dollars a dozen. I personally haven't seen it, but some parts of the country uh, we're seeing that to be the case. The more you pay for eggs, the less you have to pay for fun things for the family or you know extra the the little extra. So, um, I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that, Andy, or clearly home prices have a a large implication within our economy and to each and every family. So as we look at, at last year, um, housing, housing has continued to rise. And at this point in time, we've actually seen um, on a scale of affordability that housing is less affordable today than what it is and what it has been since 2005 or so. So housing is pretty expensive. And of course, interest rates really have had a lot to do with that. Um, again, one of the tools in the Fed's toolbox is our interest rate policy. And as rates rise, that should be cooling the economy. Um, and with that, again, we, we still haven't seen housing prices come down and uh, certainly a lack of inventory in the market as well. So all of this really combines to make housing very expensive. Yeah, I think where um, you know where we'll also see some impacts of uh, increasing rates uh, within the housing market is you know not only uh, housing startups, so uh, you know building homes there. Uh, as we saw in 2022, the price of materials for you know uh, to build a house, so you know your plywood, uh, you know your, your two by fours and such, all those materials increase quite a bit. So we'll see how uh, in 2023, um, you know, once the supply chain issues soften, how that's going to impact housing startups, you know, across the United States. And to Andy's point, you know, when you talk about housing um, over the years uh, here recently, I should say, we really haven't seen uh, prices decrease. you know, most of the time what we're hearing from our clients is that, you know, they'll go, they'll make an offer um, and then there are multiple offers. And then, you know, you have these escalation calls and things like that. Well, you know, now maybe what we'll see is more of a stabilization of prices and then start to see houses on the market for a little while and prices decrease over time uh, and maybe there just won't be uh, that much demand uh, like there has been in the last uh, couple of years. So that could that could really work out, um, you know, if you're shopping for a home. But again, uh, the increased interest rates could also you know deter you from from buying at this point. Was well, the is the old man in the room? It kind of uh, makes me smile when I uh, hear the comments about how high interest rates are, which they are for recent years. But uh, I have clients that uh, were trying to carry a mortgage back in the late 70s and early 80s when we're talking high double digit interest rates so um, no question this hurts and it will it will work things will slow Um, historically speaking however mortgages in the you know high fives to even the low eights are not again historically speaking not too out of line but certainly when you hear of people that have mortgages I think the lowest rate I had heard was 2.75 and a shock in a system as quickly as we had it, um, we are going to see impacts from that when it hits. I think it's going to hit rather, rather hard. I know the three of us have uh, long held that the Fed seems to have missed golden opportunities from maybe 2011, 2012 up through uh, 2019 to raise interest rates a little 
you know, incrementally, shall we say, but uh, rather the path they chose was to wait through the, um, now we didn't know the pandemic was coming, but we weren't going to lower, um, raise rates during the pandemic. But they waited until 2022 and really sent shockwaves through the system with the dramatic increases uh, they had. I was reviewing a CD, a portfolio with a client. Um, she had money that she just wanted to set aside for six months to a year. One year ago, the rate she was offered was 0.4, and this year it was 4.4. So that just kind of puts in perspective the dramatic increase we have we have seen here in the last year. And one little story I've, I've shared with clients <clears throat> along the way here, as, as rates have continued to increase, um, you know, I, I kind of make it uh, the analogy being driving to Florida, right? I, I don't think any of us particularly care to, to drive to Florida. Obviously, that's a, a long, grueling challenge and a, a long drive at that. But once you arrive, I think we're, we're happy we're there and, you know, the, the sun is shining and our toes are in the water and life's pretty good. So with that, again, as rates continue to rise, there, there's certainly been some implications, uh, negative implications at that associated with rising rates. But now that we're here, right, now there's there's yet again a case to, to have money within money markets. Uh, there's a case to own bonds again. And uh, ideally moving forward, bonds will start acting like bonds to, to add a, a steady rate of return and a bolster to client portfolios rather than trying to reach for excess return in stocks. Uh, and of course, as, as we put more, more money into stocks, the average portfolio is going to undergo some higher ups and, and some lower lows. So um, bonds are alive again. Okay, and um, maybe we shift to uh, maybe you know, the impact rising interest rates may or may not be having on the job market. That is um, one thing I know the Fed has been watching out for, just an indication of the wage growth, uh, because the more money people have, despite higher prices, if they feel wealthy, shall we say, or they've got a lot of uh, excess money, they're going to pay whatever whatever you're charging them. Uh, so in terms of where rates are going, we're going to be watching that um, wage growth. And as I indicated uh, earlier, the uh, wage growth cooled in the fourth quarter. And again, the silver lining uh, might be that this affords the Fed a reason to slow down with their increases. And what I don't like about that that statement really is you're almost cheering against people that deserve to be paid more. You know, in a in a sense, um, gee, I hope wages don't increase so the Fed can. Well, you know, we don't want that. So that's what we're seeing that in a lot of different areas. I think um, these are all results of the Fed keeping interest rates um, low, artificially low for really. It's been it was fourteen years. You know, so it's it's rather unique that we're we're cheering again higher rates. And as as good news is coming out within our markets, it's actually being perceived as bad news, right? So, yeah, right. so unemployment's low, and you know, according to uh, Chair Powell, it's too low. So we have to increase rates, and it doesn't seem like they're going to be letting off of that until we do start to see a, an easing in wage increases as well as an increase in unemployment. So here we are with those economic uh, factors and we're also watching what's going on with interest rates. Eric, if um, 
you want to maybe explain to folks out there what the yield curve is or what it may be telling us? Yeah, absolutely. So right now, what we are seeing is an inverted yield curve. What does that mean? So short-term rates are higher than long-term rates. Um, so what that can do is uh, that's an indication to us that there's possibly a recession on the horizon. So you know maybe in the next uh, 12 months or so. Um, so that's really what we're taking a look at at this time, uh, and you know to see what the impacts are, uh, you know throughout 2023. I think it's important here too to to recognize again recession. We've we've talked about that in the past, but again to 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 circle back around here, if there is a recession here within the next year or so, we feel as though it's not nearly going to be like what we went through in two thousand eight, two thousand and nine. So it should be a, a shortly lived recession and um, hopefully a, a quicker recovery. It may not be shaped like a the V recoveries that we've seen as of late. But ideally, it's going to be a shortly lived and, and not as severe as what we experienced uh, back in 2008, 2009. Regarding recessions, you know, we had sat around uh, this table, you know, in the last year and spoke of how we felt we were in one. And by that's when we got into the conversation about the old definition, new definition. Um, by the old definition, it was a little rough in 22. Um, by the new definition, we avoided a recession, but all indications are that, yeah. 2023 may not be a um, particularly uh, enjoyable year. Um, I want to go back to something Eric touched on, which you mentioned supply chain issues, and we're seeing business inventories increase. And what what's going to be interesting to see there is, does that product get moved? Um, we know inventories were very low, largely due to um, – supply chain issues coming off of the uh, pandemic where product was not being made and then product that was trying to come into the country uh, was held up in ports. Businesses went over time to build up to demand, but now as wages, you know, we mentioned how wage growth is declining and discretionary spending is kind of falling off. Um, what will happen with those inventory? So uh, just something to keep an eye on. Um, going forward um I don't know if maybe handy andy over there has uh has some personal experience uh with his renovation projects so what last year you're you know probably <laughs> renovating a few houses and uh bought some two by fours and there were eight bucks a piece and they're somewhere probably four bucks a piece right now sure i'm willing <laughs> to, to let go of them for 16 dollars a piece though. 16 <laughs> okay yeah, that's, that's no problem yeah i'd say one interesting piece about the job market is you know, we're starting to see more uh, big corporations and I mean, even smaller ones where they're requiring their workers to come back into the office space. Yeah. And, you know, that's a change from the last two years where a lot of people are being able to work from home and obviously there are the benefits of that. And um, so it'll be interesting to see how, uh, you know, this this turn, let's say, uh, going back into the office space will impact the job market itself and unemployment. And it certainly seems like there's a subset of people out there that really don't want to return to the office, right? So I think they, they've grown uh, akin to working from home and they've adjusted accordingly and like working in their PJs. So you can't necessarily fault them for that, but it kind of makes you wonder, you know, to, to get our economy back to, to full tilt and uh, at an adequate rate of employment if we actually do start seeing these employees return or if they just say, heck with it, we're going to throw up our hands and um, 
and stay out of the workforce. So like one interesting stat about our, our national. So if I can go back to our interest rate real quick. So I think one thing that has failed to meet a lot of consumers eyes or interest is that as interest rates are increasing here in the US, our cost of debt is going up substantially, right? So we have $31 trillion in debt. And uh, in 2022, total debt service, so our interest rate, our interest cost was about $3.95 billion. Uh, the consensus is that's going to be up to about seven. The consensus is that's going to be up to roughly seven hundred and forty billion in two thousand and twenty-four. So a, a near double. So the consensus for two thousand and twenty-four is that our national debt is going to cost us about seven hundred and forty billion dollars with a B. Uh, that will steadily be increasing to one point four trillion total over the next decade. So clearly rising interest rates has profound effects on our global economy and how we're going to pay for that inevitably that's tax dollars so let's not be surprised if our tax rates do steadily increase over the next decade or so well, it's interesting you can inflate your way out of it right you can raise taxes devalue the dollar um stop me when you hear something that's good you know so it's been a growing concern right not to get political, both parties have have brought us here. I know both sides of the aisle want to point fingers, but uh, both sides have have brought us here. Now, in the short term, winners uh, I would say are U.S. importers and international um, travelers. Those are people in the U.S. that are traveling overseas because um, as the interest rates had increased, the dollar you know was continuing to strengthen. Um, losers, of course, would be U.S. exporters, anybody traveling into the United States. Um, well, so we have emerging uh, economies, multinational companies operating in the U.S. But uh, you know those are certainly short term and against a pretty scary backdrop, as you indicated, Andy, with the um, rising uh, U.S. debt levels. And it does seem as though. A cooling of the dollar is inevitable. So perhaps in 2023, we start to see the dollar turn over, at which point that would favor international stocks. So uh, at this point in time, we're certainly not turning our back on international holdings. And to that end, it may be a good time to to look overseas once again and allocate some capital into non-US stocks. Also, as we look to 2023, one indicator we keep our eye on would be the consumer confidence and the stock market. So typically speaking, when consumers are most tattered and torn and ready to throw in the towel is the optimal time to buy stocks. So we saw here in December, the consumer confidence level reached a near an all-time low of 59.7. Um, the, the thing to take away from this is typically speaking, after a trough, the S&P tends to perform very well uh, to that end, the average annual return moving forward over the next 12 months is nearly 25%. So yeah. this certainly bodes well for, for future markets. Yeah, so you may be out there wondering, so so what does this all mean? Um, I know the way we're handling portfolios right now, uh, it's been touched on the upside of higher interest rates, so we don't have to be going too far out on the risk spectrum right to get a little yield for clients we can actually uh stay back in money markets and cds and you know this is against a backdrop of 
an inflation rate that's in the six and a half range, and we know that fixed rates are not going to beat inflation currently. But sometimes that's that's not all that matters, right? You just don't want to uh, see the decreases or have the risk for that same kind of income. Uh, I know we're avoiding tech stocks in the communications sector for the, let's say, the older generation or retired generation. I know a lot of 20-year-olds that are looking at this as a real advantage to be to be buying in. So the more aggressive portfolios, which we tend to use with the younger crowd, the younger clients, um, is uh, taking advantage of some lower prices now, which may go lower. You know, we, we never know when the exact bottom is. I don't see that this is different than any time in general. We tell, tell people to focus on the long term, and this is why you do keep money in conservative investments in case you need liquidity. Well, I think this goes back to Andy's point earlier, talking about the 60-40, so 60% stocks, 40% bonds are you know more conservative on that 40 side. It's not broken, you know, uh, because there have been some questions in the past. Well, is the 60-40 model broken? And um, so I think this just goes to, you know, diversification and asset allocation, sure. um, you know, is going to pay off, in, you know, in the future um, because, what, 2020, 21, 22, well, not necessarily 22, um, but 20 and 21, the tech stocks, you know, were just booming and people were saying, well, why wouldn't I just go 100% in these? And, you know, it's just going back to, hey, go back to, you know, the investment, the purpose, and, uh, you know, stick to an, you know, an asset allocation model moving forward. Yeah, we're seeing why you don't put 100% exactly. in one area. Yep. And a lot of this really just comes down to being prudent. Right. So um, as, as things tend to a certain sectors of the markets tend to go up or down, inevitably, we believe in mean reversion. Right. So all that means is simply if, if we see a sector, an industry uh, or even in some examples, a stock that is beating the market hand over fist, um, that typically means that will inevitably fall back down to averages at some point. So, again, that the level of prudence and the word prudence comes to mind as we don't want to chase these stocks, we don't want to chase the markets. Uh, the other side of prudence that that we are actually engaging a lot more conversation would be balance sheet management, right? So when our stocks are earning 10, 12, 15% a year and our interest rate to carry our debt is, is near zero, well, clearly it makes sense given that landscape to allocate cash into markets and, and to hold debt, right? If our debt service cost is so low, um, again, if the banks are charging you a three, you can earn 10, well, it makes sense to go out and invest your money in the markets. Well, that paradigm has shifted here recently. So really, again, going back to balance sheet management and as rates have continued to increase, perhaps it does make sense to pay off certain debts, such as cars or, again, other discretionary type of items, rather than investing in the markets. Um, and as we look forward to 2023, right? So generally speaking, Wall Street is polled about potential outcomes for stock market performance for the given year. And heck, we're seeing anything 3,600 all the way to 4,500, right? So again, prudent being, we don't know exactly where the market's going to go. Nobody does, but continue to dollar cost average into the markets, not get overly emotional, that will lead you to a path of success. I think the uh, catchphrase in sports is uh, return to the basics, right? 
um, seems to be you know aptly applied here and maybe a you know summary for this is the younger you are especially for your long-term money so if you do have retirement savings do not be concerned take advantage of lower and potentially uh, you know prices that will be lower in the future than we're seeing today just keep buying and and investing in the future the older you are you're going to be wanting to take on some caution and then uh, for those that are retired and needing income take comfort knowing that uh, you don't have to get very risky anymore you know buying stocks just for their dividends we can actually have you in more conservative and, and stable stable holdings generate some income so I don't know if there's anything that uh, either of you want to add to that kind of as a what does all this mean um, well one conversation I like to have with clients during times of turmoil like this is you know we often get asked you know should I sell everything should I get out of the markets and clearly what's difficult about that is you have to get it right twice right we have to know when to when to sell now and when to buy back in and if prices go higher you don't want to buy back in because you're buying fewer shares and you're buying at higher prices if prices go down after you sell then there's never a good time to get back in right why would i put my money back in the markets when when they're falling so there's really never a good time to sell uh, to that end a, a very easy practical thing that you can do and, and just a little mental exercise if you will is yeah, I often ask clients, hey, look, what was your account worth first quarter of 2017? Suddenly, do they know the answer, right? But at that very moment, that's all that mattered back in 2017. But as we look back to that day, who knows what it was worth? It's, it's quite frankly irrelevant. So apply that same logic moving forward, right? Yes, our accounts are you know, 10, 20, 30% lower than where they were a year ago. But a year from now, it won't matter what it looks like today. So keep that long-term perspective, keep saving, and good things will happen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, SIPC. Please remember to follow and subscribe to this podcast to receive our new content when it's released. If you would like to speak with any of our financial advisors, please give us a call at 937 390 8750 or look us up on the web at yourfinancialteam.com.